Hello and welcome to the second in the series of Embryology podcasts for the Swansea University's Graduate Entry Programme. Um, my name's Dr Sam Webster again. This is the first real lecture in the series and it's a very introductory lecture where we talk about um, concepts and very much an introduction to embryology and development in general. So in this lecture we'll talk about what embryology, what the embryo is, what development is, um, timing of pregnancy and that sort of thing and then we'll talk about some of the principles of growth and development and then we'll talk about growth um, I'll mention differentiation and organization um, and this shouldn't take too long and this will lead us into future lectures in the series so you may be picking up a, a few words today which might be fairly new there is a glossary that accompanies this lecture a lot of the words I'll be using in this lecture, if you haven't heard them before, will be words we'll probably be using quite a lot in the future in this module, in this lecture series, and in other aspects of medicine. So, let's begin. Uh, so, I mean, really we're talking about, um, in embryology and development, how do we go from a single cell, or two cells, the egg and the sperm, um, to the fertilised egg, how do we go from that to what we see as ourselves adult humans. Um, development continues for about 20 years after birth. We don't stop growing until we're 18 to 21 years old. We're still getting taller, we're still getting bigger and so on. Um, and then of course many processes continue after that. So how do we go from a single cell to the large multicellular organism that we see um, sat here today? Um, <laughs> let's give a bit of history. Back in the 4th century BC, Aristotle put forward a couple of ideas. Quite clear, sensible um, ideas about how we develop. One, everything in the embryo was preformed and simply got bigger. That is to say that the adult human was a very, very, very small human in the embryo and um, just got bigger during gestation and then obviously bigger after birth. His second idea was that new structures arise progressively through epigenesis. Um, so suggesting that we don't look like a tiny miniature human originally but new structures develop and change shape and grow to give the baby and the adult human that we see. Uh, he favoured epigenesis, his second theory, and he was indeed correct. It's pretty good for two and a half thousand years ago. Uh, in the 17th century, though, uh, when the strong belief of divine creation was, was uh, around, the idea that all embryos had always existed and that the first embryo of a species contained all the future embryos was believed by the majority to be the correct, um, the correct idea. So this was real creationist stuff, that everything that will exist always had existed. That first embryo contained all the future embryos, all the future animals of that species. Um, in fact, <laughs> um, this was taken to the point that during the development of microscopes and so on, some said that within each sperm 
they could see a tiny human, a homunculus, and that was taken as evidence for this theory. They could actually see uh, in the head of each human sperm a, a tiny human. Of course, with cell theory in the 1830s, when uh, Schleiden and Schwann came together, a botanist and a physiologist, um, and looked at the structure of organisms under microscopes, they saw that all living organisms are made up of cells, which are the basic units of life and arise only by division of other cells. So they showed that, or it was shown that, the egg is just a single but very specialised cell from which the embryo develops. Therefore, epigenetic theory must be right. So be careful what you think you can see under a microscope, or generally be careful what you think you can see. Um, okay, so moving on. So we progress from the fertilized egg to a shape that resembles an adult over actually eight weeks um, after fertilization. So those first eight weeks are the embryonic period. During those first eight weeks, we don't really look much like our adult selves. But at the end of the eight weeks, we do. We have um, fingers and toes, arms and legs. You can pretty much see ears and eyes and so on. So after those eight weeks then, a lot of what's happening is we're getting bigger um, and there are some there's a lot of development ongoing sure but those general shapes the general shape of the the adult is laid down in the first eight weeks in fact in those first eight weeks particularly in the early stages a human embryo looks very much similar to a mouse embryo a bovine embryo an equine embryo all sorts you know, embryos look very very similar until the end of those eight weeks, where in fact they've changed shape, they've picked up a lot of the adult structures and shapes, and they look quite different. So, in the first eight weeks, the structures of most systems are established. As I said, fingers and toes are clear examples. You can also see arms and legs, knees and elbows, the ear, the eyelids become unfused. Um, the tail disappears. Yes, we have a tail, and it disappears after the first eight weeks. And at that stage, the head is about um, half the total length of the embryo if you measure from the crown to the rump, so not measuring the legs. Most of the internal systems are complete, if not actually functioning yet. The embryo is obviously very much dependent on the mother. And at this stage, we have an embryo that's about five centimetres from crown to rump. Most then of what we talk about in these embryology lectures are the first eight weeks of development. When we talk about embryology, we talk about the first eight weeks of the embryo's life. So then the fetal stage is from eight weeks until birth. There is a slowdown in the growth of the head relative to the rest of the body. Um, a lot of what's going on, as I said, is the fetus getting larger, so it, it, it rapidly gets longer, particularly in the fourth and fifth months. So in the fifth month, the mother starts to feel, feel movement. Uh, by that stage, the fetus is about 15 centimetres long, and the fetus is getting larger and larger, putting on weight, and towards the end of gestation, towards the end of pregnancy, is when the fetus puts on weight at the fastest rate. There's an interesting difference between embryology and uh, pregnancy, or I say embryology and uh, uh, scientific and clinical terms, which isn't unusual. 
talking about the timing of pregnancy. Now, when I talk about the first eight weeks of the embryo's um, development, I'm talking obviously about the first eight weeks from fertilization to eight weeks after fertilization. However, although development starts at the point of fertilization, that point is very difficult to identify um, in real life. In fact, fertilization isn't a point. It's, it, it's a process that takes around 22 to 24 hours. There is no point of fertilization. It's a, it's a, it's a long process. Um, but that's by the by. We'll talk about that in, I think, next lecture. Um, now, in real life, missing a menstrual period is the obvious indicator of pregnancy. So, clinically, pregnancy is commonly timed from the last menstrual period. In embryology, the development of the embryo is calculated from the point of fertilization. Fertilization, or uh, the point of fertilization, is typically two weeks before the next expected menstrual period. So it's the, the point of fertilization is two weeks after the last menstrual period. So um, we might measure the uh, development of the embryo and the fetus as a 30 week, 38 week gestational period uh, as scientists. But in the clinic, the um, gestational period is 40 weeks because we have an extra two weeks on at the beginning uh, measuring um, the length of the pregnancy from the last menstrual period. So 38 weeks versus 40 clinical weeks. There are variations in the lengths of pregnancies. There's a variation between individuals. There's a variation. There are variations within an individual between first and subsequent babies. There are variations between races and so on. But um, uh, these are averages. We're looking at around um, 40 week gestation from the last menstrual period for most people. The mean length for different groups can vary by up to about 10 days. Okay, so let's briefly mention the menstrual cycle before we talk about um, timing and calculating uh, timing of pregnancies. So the menstrual cycle, which you'll meet in uh, a number of lectures most likely because it's um, absolutely core knowledge. Uh, the menstrual cycle consists of changes to the endometrial layer of the uterus. So that's to the, um, the most external layer of the uterus. Um, changes are under the control of the pituitary gland and of the ovary via hormones, which as I say, we'll cover in detail later. Um, but there are a number of stages. The average cycle length is 28 days. There's a range of 21 to 40 days, but on average it's around 28 days. Um, and the stages from menstruation are a reparative phase, proliferative phase, ovulation, secretory phase, and menstruation. So obviously during menstruation, the, uh, the lining of the uterus is shed. And then the reparative phase uh, makes sense in that that lining begins to become restored. The proliferative phase is um, the, uh, the lining of the uterus is getting thicker and various glands and what have you are starting to appear. Ovulation then occurs uh, 14 days before menstruation starts. Okay, let's say that if a menstrual cycle is 28 days, then ovulation is 14 days after menstruation, fine. But if the cycle length varies, 
then ovulation is most accurately stated as being 14 days before menstruation starts. That is to say that the first half of the cycle, or the first part of the cycle, is more variable in length. The last part of the cycle is more consistently 14 days between different women. Anyway, ovulation then occurs uh, once the um, endometrial lining has been restored. And if fertilization was to occur, then uh, sometime after ovulation, the um, developing embryo would implant into the uterine wall uh, during the secretory phase. And if this doesn't happen, then at the end of the secretory phase, <coughs> the um, endometrial lining is lost during menstruation. You will probably hear slightly different terms um, for the phases of the menstrual cycle and slightly different descriptions, but they're all describing the same thing, the same series of processes. And it will all make more sense um, when we discuss it in terms of hormones. And then you can understand it in your own mind in terms of hormones rather than descriptive um, terms. Okay, so back to length of uh, pregnancy then. Um, we're going from the date of the last menstrual period. So we then have two weeks-ish after that, the fertilization must have occurred. Um, 38 weeks would be nine and a half lunar months. The 40 weeks from the last menstrual period would be 10 lunar months. Um, 10 lunar months is about seven days longer than nine calendar months. Uh, so there's a, there's a quick calculation you can do to to guesstimate the due date, um, which would be you take the date of the last menstrual period, you add nine calendar months and add seven days, and that will give you fairly accurately the, um, the uh, due date for um, delivery. In fact, if you just take this in terms of the, the calendar, this is correct in more than half the calendar cases and is at worst on the out by three days too many. Biology is far more variable than, uh, than that. Okay, so going back to uh, fetal periods, there is another uh, point which you should be aware of, which is um, the law with, regarded, with regarding to um, the fetus um, during pregnancy. After 24 weeks of pregnancy, the fetus is considered viable by law. So um, the delivery of a dead fetus before 24 weeks of pregnancy is considered a miscarriage or an abortion. Um, the delivery of a dead fetus after 24 weeks is um, treated as stillbirth. That fetus is treated as an individual that has lived and died and must be registered as such. There is some discussion at the moment about changes to the law and um, reduction of this uh, point to 16 weeks so pay attention to that i think these this debate's been going on for 18 months or a couple of years or so and hasn't come through yet modern treatments as i'm sure you've read and you've, you've probably seen mean that in practice a fetus born at 20 to 22 weeks may be viable the chances of survival of a fetus of that age may be slim but it's possible that that baby may survive with um, modern methods, modern clinical practice. Survival actually at this age depends more on size than on age. And in the later stages of the pregnancy, 
as I said, the fetus is putting on weight more rapidly, so the odds of survival increase with each week that the fetus remains in utero. Um, but survival from 20 weeks is, is quite possible these days. Let's move on then to actual principles of growth and development um, themselves. Um, so we're moving from the zygote to the embryo, to the fetus, to the newborn. Changes in size are accompanied by changes in shape and proportion. I'm so sure you've seen um, children, um, I mean children versus adults obviously, in that um, the heads of children are much larger in proportion to their bodies than adults. Um, in fact, one's head doesn't grow that much during childhood and um, adolescence compared to the body, which grows a great deal from birth to um, adulthood. So changes in size accompanying changes in shape and proportion shouldn't be an unusual idea to you. Um, and we'll talk about the processes by which these changes occur. Um, we'll talk about differentiation and organization and uh, morphogenesis. Um, okay. So if we're going to talk about growth, growth happens largely after the patterning and differentiation. Um, and the rate of growth then will affect the shape. So there are three methods of growth. If growth is an increase in the mass or overall size of a tissue or an organism, growth can occur through an increase in cell number, an increase in cell size, or an increase in extracellular material. Um, and this sort of growth is commonly seen in adult tissues as well as in development. So in proliferation, a cell divides. You get one cell, divides into two. Those two cells become like the um, parent cell. Um, and this is the most common method of growth. This is a method of growth that doesn't occur in uh, skeletal tissue, differentiated skeletal tissue, or cardiac muscle, or neurons. These cell types won't divide. Um, what we have once they're differentiated is what we've got. But in other tissues, um, proliferation, um, increase in cell number, gives an increase in, in tissue size. Hypertrophy. In hypertrophy, the cell itself gets larger. You see this all the time with skeletal muscle fibers. Um, partly the increase in size of a muscle is due to increased vascularization. But in response to weight training, skeletal muscle fibers will hypertrophy. The muscle fibers won't increase in number, they won't proliferate, they will increase in size, they will hypertrophy. So the muscle gets bigger. And the third method then, accretion, the cell secretes an extracellular matrix around itself, pushing itself away from neighboring cells. This is very common in cartilage and bone, whereby um, they may, the, the tissue may increase in size through proliferation, you may get some cell division, but the biggest changes in the size of the tissue come with accretion. The cells are making more and more extracellular matrix uh, and making more and more tissue so the tissue gets bigger and bigger. And of course in cartilage and bone the extracellular matrix is very important because they're structural tissues, so the extracellular matrix is the, is the structure, is the, um, is the tough tissue. Growth is actually not common in many adult tissues, but it can occur in response to, as we've seen, training or in response to injury. So growth is common as a repair response, but um, 
by the adult stage we've pretty much done all our growing. Another process that's important, um, but is kind of the opposite of cell of um, cell growth or of growth, is cell death. There is control over cell death within the body and during development, and uh, apoptosis is a name for um, programmed cell death, deliberate cell suicide. And apoptosis can be important in forming shapes. One good example is the formation of the hand, which during development is initially like a paddle. And in between the future digits, the cells are triggered to die, um, to go undergo a very programmed, very clean cell death and package themselves away very neatly, um, to form the gaps between the digits and then the digits become distinguishable. So cell death is also important in growth and development. So that's growth. Um, let's also talk about some of the processes that we're more likely to talk about in embryology, such as differentiation. Differentiation is a process by which cells acquire a cell type. A cell becomes specialized. So um, before differentiation, you would have a stem cell or a stem type cell, a cell that could potentially become any cell in the body or a wide range of cells, it would be totipotent or pluripotent. With differentiation, differentiation, the stem cell would become a specialized cell. So it would go down a pathway which would make it into a cartilage cell or a muscle cell or a, a neuron. And as it progresses down that pathway, it develops a clear identity and will reach a point at which it cannot differentiate any further. It's reached a point of terminal differentiation. And at that point, it's a, usually a very specialized cell with a very specialized function. A neuron is quite different to a, a, a muscle cell. A muscle cell is quite different to a cartilage cell. Um, once they've differentiated, that cell type is very stable. If the cell were to divide, it would pass on its cell type. Um, and this is what most of the body is made up of, differentiated cells. And there are more than 200 differentiated cell types in mammals. Um, so you can see the advantage of stem cells and progenitor cells. If we can isolate stem cells, we can encourage them to differentiate into different cells needed during repair processes or whatever under different conditions. So we can take these stem cells, get them to proliferate or divide and then differentiate into that specialized cell type that we need to repair whatever process we need to repair. Another important part of embryology then is organization. So by organization, I'm talking about uh, cells getting organized to make something. So pattern formation organized to develop something a lot more complex. Um, for example, uh, pattern formation occurs in the developing arm, which starts off as a limb bud. Um, if we hark back to the, the um, example used for apoptosis, um, how does a cell in the developing arm know to become part of a finger or part of the upper arm or uh, part of the radius or the ulna or a nerve? Or, if all these cells start off as 
almost stem cells, how do they know to do the job that they should do to form the adult structure that we see as the, as the forearm? The method is um, the cell has positional knowledge. It knows where it is, so it, it's told where it is, so it's told what to do. Uh, body plans are laid down, so a cell within a structure such as the developing arm, there would be um, a dorsal ventral axis, a caudal cephalic axis, a proximodistal axis. So there would be um, a three-dimensional um, three axes giving three-dimensional information to a cell so it knew where it was, knew what it had to do. Cells signal to other cells. Via induction, a signal from one group of cells will influence the development of an adjacent group of cells. There are many different types of signals. Uh, there are lots of genes encoding lots of signaling proteins. Um, and there are different ways in which that signal can travel from one cell to another. It might be a signal that travels a long way, all the way across the limb, for example, or maybe a signal that travels a very short distance just to some neighboring cells. And on the receiving cell, that cell must have receptors to pick up that signal. So not all cells may be affected by a signal. Um, and a signal, again, may have positive or negative effects on that cell. It may tell it to do something or it may tell it to stop doing something. So by cells signaling to other cells, they can, in a fairly complex and comprehensive manner, control the development of um, quite detailed structures. Okay, so if we're talking about the limb, and we'll talk about this again when you have uh, your musculoskeletal um, embryology lecture, but uh, on the anteroposterior gradient, so ventral dorsal, dorsal gradient, so from the, say, the... Uh, the back of the limb to the front of the limb, the cells on the back surface produce a factor that diffuses across that developing limb. So we're thinking of a, of a bud here, a really simple limb that's extending out from the side of the embryo. The fingers and what have you haven't developed yet. And they're producing a factor that is going to signal to lots of other cells and it's diffusing across the limb. So at the uh, around the site of the cells which are producing this factor, the concentration is very high. As the factor diffuses across the limb, the concentration drops off. And the cells that can detect this factor will respond differently to the different concentrations of the factor. So the concentration and the diffusion is very important. And this sort of work has been demonstrated um, on uh, developing chick limb buds so that if you were to take those cells which are making the, the signal and graft them onto the opposite side of the developing limb so you have two signal sources diffusing across the limb so you would have two high concentration areas and a low concentration area in the middle you get some quite strange um, developmental responses to that signal the, uh, the cells then think that they're on the other side of the limb. They think they're on the back of the limb instead of the, the front of the limb. So um, depending upon which stage you, you add these signals, you get a duplication. So for example, you could get a du duplication of the digits. So on the developing chick limb, you'd have instead of the well, three obvious digits, you'd have um, a mirror image of those digits. Because the cells thought that they were 
on the other side of the limb so they've then gone on to develop some of the digits on the wrong side of the limb twice as many limbs so okay we're almost to the end of this lecture now um, another term we should talk about with development one of the principles of development is morphogenesis meaning the generation of form uh, a formless lump a big lump of cells forms into a recognizable shape that's morphogenesis happens all the time in development uh, so uh, going from a, a flat um, a flat layer of cells to form into a tube which will then be the gut that would be morphogenesis for example um, and morphogenesis occurs through cells migrating changes in cell adhesion so that say flat sheets of cells will then form different shapes because adhesion of different parts changes and again we'll we'll talk about this later when we talk about uh, gastrulation and development of the gut and so on um, and migration is again induced by environmental cues by signals from other cells and also by differences in adhesion between neighboring cells and different cells so there's a good example which i think is in a picture here is of the sea urchin which is a nice simple organism early on and um, goes from a blob of cells as it were um, the endoderm layer invaginates to form a hollow tube which then passes all the way through the urchin embryo so it's gone from a hollow sphere to um, a hollow sphere with a tube running through it it's changed shape that's morphogenesis which now has the, the basis of a gut so there we go we've covered growth differentiation patterning and morphogenesis in that last part we also covered um, the, the stages of um, the, the embryo and the fetus and we introduced the menstrual cycle and spoke a little bit about um, the length of um, pregnancy or uh, and so on so that's a brief introduction the next lecture will be the first 18 days of the embryo which starts around the time of fertilization and talks about what happens to that embryo as it goes from a single cell to a mass of cells implanting into the uterus and we should be using some of these uh, concepts that we've mentioned today in that lecture and certainly in future lectures and uh, we'll talk about this in a lot more detail and the detail unfortunately will pick up very very quickly so for those of you who already have a background in this sort of area this was very straightforward but I'm trying to bring you all up to the same foundation level in future when Dr Bishop comes back she also teach on the, teaches on the embryology um, part of the course hopefully we'll, uh, we'll both record on these podcasts and might make it a little bit more interesting probably with bickering and so on but um, it's, it's hard work for me talking on my own and uh, probably a little bit boring for you as well but I'll see you next in the uh, first 18 days of embryology lecture